Welcome to another enchanting episode of Surveil Sorcery, where magic meets machines in this boundless realm of generative AI and surveillance architectures. I'm your host, Rinaldi, here to guide you through the captivating crosshairs of creativity and code. What is our aim? To unravel the mysteries that lie at the heart of generative AI and explore the arcane arts of surveillance computing. Last episode, we had Girish Mukim on the talk to talk about integrating Lambda with Bedrock foundational models, and that was an interesting episode. Today, I'm thrilled to have our guest for this episode, Matt Morgan, with us. Matt has been building web applications since the 1990s. Today, his focus is on the cloud and serverless. He's dabbled in writing and speaking and collects various links and artifacts at HTTPS mattmorgan.cloud. Matt thinks about failure all the time, but is it depressed? So with that, welcome to the show, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's great to have you on, Matt. And we have quite an interesting topic for our listeners today. We, we, we're going to talk about step functions and how we're using those within eventually consistent architectures within mm -hmm. the realm of generative AI. My favorite topic. Beautiful. So do you want to do a bit of an intro first, Matt, on your part as well, why you're really passionate about this topic? Yeah, you gave me, um, uh, uh, you read my little bio there. Uh, so I've been in this business for, you know, two and a half decades, uh, writing web applications. And, um, you know, I think, I think the things that, uh, that, that tend to, tend to drive us are, uh, you know, really observing the, the failures that we've had. You, you, uh, you also had my tagline there that I, I think about failure all the time, but I'm not depressed. And that, that's when I look back over the last two and a half decades and the things that I've worked on, things that I've built, I think about all the times that uh, <clears throat> things failed and didn't work the way I wanted them to uh, and what we can do differently in the future and, and how we can build on that and, and have uh, much better, more resilient architectures. So I, I think back to um, the, the kinds of web applications that I've worked on and the fact that uh, in, inevitably as uh, applications grow in complexity, you end up with back office jobs, you end up with, with asynchronous processing, you end up with things that are offline. It might be um, syncing up payments, it might be a data transfer with a partner, it might be uh, syncing between uh, two databases or something like it might be a backup, it might be an analytics process. The, the list is endless of the kinds of things that you will do, or that you'll need to do. And, and um, in the old days, um, I was working in Spring Java, you know, 15 years ago, uh, and um, we would just run that in our in our web application. It would just there would just be a web application uh, serving traffic, and, and then suddenly this massive job spins up and tries to do a bunch of different things and requires a huge amount of memory, which is you know a little bit of a challenge in the Java world. So uh, it was a disaster because our our services would crash, our critical jobs would uh, would not complete, and then we'd have to try to fix pick up the pieces. And so a lot of the steps in my career from there have been uh, focused on what do we do instead? Because clearly that doesn't work. Like the first thing that we did is we said, okay, well, that's that's not such such a great plan. The, um, can we run those jobs on separate services, servers or something like that, right? Uh, at least we have that level of isolation or web application isn't killed by the job running. Uh, but but then um, number one, it's expensive, and number two, uh, it can still fail, right? It it failed in in the mixed environment. It 
it can still fail in the isolated environment. Observability is bad. Uh, uh, you know, debugging is hard. This is not something that web application developers really uh, train to or, or understand well. And so, having gone through a couple of cycles of this, of, of, of iterating, of um, you know, maybe maybe using uh, um, uh, batch, batching libraries to make this work better, using uh, better error handling techniques. A colleague of mine put me onto step functions. Uh, he really wanted to use step functions for a new asynchronous process that was complex. It was, in this case, it was a data migration from an old system to a new system. It was highly complex. It had to be run in very specific ways and it was tenant based. And so um, some of the um, uh, more general move data from one system to another system uh, uh, services were not going to work out well for us. Um, so we gave step functions a try and I just, I just thought it was so great. Like it was, it was so, so lightweight. It worked so well. We had such good observability around it. Learning ASL was challenging, but it was doable, right? ASL is, is, uh, not American sign language in this context, but is Amazon state's language, which is a JSON based, uh, language where you can describe a state machine. Um, so that, that that was a little bit of a challenge, but we were able to overcome that challenge. And I just really loved working in that way. It just made so much sense. Uh, and um, that started driving a lot of my architectures when I was when I was thinking about this, because the thing is that if you make something eventually consistent, if you don't require it to execute within an HTTP request, uh, there's a lot more that you can do with it. You end up being a lot more scalable. You can queue things up. Uh, you can retry things. And so uh, I think that for really complex, uh, complicated, you know, like um, nail-bitingly difficult or, or, or challenging workflows, uh, which uh, we always have too many of, uh, this is a great model for them. And so um, I, I've been really excited about ever since. This is my intro, by the way, to serverless. Uh, a lot of people start with Lambda. I started with step functions. And that's a great intro, Matt. Look, I feel that one of the things that people have been looking at is how to be able to make processes more efficient and autonomous. And I think you really hit the nail on that head, which is how you can try to be able to automate these processes easier. And by using step functions, we're really able to make that more powerful. And I think you hit a very important challenge as well, which is regarding to error handling. And I feel that one of the things that always comes up in these kinds of discussions is how people are addressing this and also addressing the challenge as well of timeouts as well. And I was wondering if you can talk a bit more as well about how you're tackling the challenges of timeout fixing and how are you addressing it particularly within step functions? You know, when it comes to asynchronous workflows, uh, the the thing that I like to start as a con with it as a concept is um, being idempotent, which that could mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Uh, there's a dictionary definition out there. To me, uh, it, it means that I can safely rerun it. Um, usually, it means that you can you can execute the process again without side effects. Um, sometimes people get in the weeds about logging and things like that, but that that that's neither here nor there. Uh, when I talk about idempotency. You know, in this context, I mean that if my workload fails halfway through, I can start it over. Maybe I can restart it from that point. That would be good. 
maybe I can restart it from the beginning, but it's not going to end up in uh, a customer build twice or uh, or um, you know or or my inventory count being off or you know whatever else might happen if you know if the workload isn't uh, safe uh, in that way. So. Um, I think that's that's really this, the starting position is is to is to say that anything anywhere can fail, right? Like, um, uh, you know, everything fails all the time. That's that's a pretty famous uh, uh, saying associated with AWS. So, uh, in you know, and it's it's good to be thinking about that. So, um, if if the workload can be rerun safely, then you're in a good state already. Okay. So now um, now you need to figure out how do you catch and retry uh, when, once you've failed. You need to have those mechanisms. You need to have uh, you know, the awareness of, of uh, where the failure occurs and can you restart from that point or, or something like that. Um, you asked specifically about uh, something timing out. So if, if the problem is that your workload is just taking too long, maybe there's a downstream service that has to consume it or something like that and, and timeout occurs on that. Uh, then often you'll want to uh, go wide. You'll want to do use a fan out pattern. What can you parallelize in order to make it uh, run faster and more efficiently? So um, you know, step functions has a great mechanism for this, which is called the map state. Uh, there, there's two different two different uh, states that you could think about here. One's called parallel, and one's called map. Uh, with a parallel state, you're, you're running different processes. Excuse me, in parallel, um, that might be if you've got 10 different things that you need to do, instead of doing one, two, three, four, five, all the way through 10 uh, in sequence, as long as there's no dependencies between them, you could run them all at the same time. With a map state, now you're gonna say, I'm going to uh, run the same function or process 10 times, with this, but with different inputs, right? You can parallelize that. Uh, and, um, the cool thing about that is is that uh, uh, a state machine step function will fan out and then fan back in. So you can say once those are complete, I'm going to come back in in together. And this is this was the core of a a blog post that I, I know that uh, you read because I shared it with you uh, that I wrote, wrote earlier this year uh, called um, uh, called avoiding the serverless workflow anti pattern. And the reason that I wrote that blog post was I found myself often in, in the position of having to defend step, step functions as the right tool to encompass an asynchronous workflow due to the ease in which a developer can say, uh, I know that I need to ha uh, implement a fan out pattern. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put a bunch of messages in SQS, and then I'm gonna use those messages to trigger another Lambda function and I'm just going to go wide, and then those lambda functions are just going to execute the uh, the, the workloads in, in parallel or whenever they receive the messages, which is really cool. I mean, that that's that's a good start to something uh, when you need to solve that problem of uh, your workload is too long or or you you need to go wide. Uh, the problem with that is that what I just described there, just just simply throwing a bunch of messages into SQS and then having lambda uh, consume them on the other end. It, it's no longer really a workflow. It's it's just sort of like a scattershot, fire and forget. A bunch of lambda functions will be executed. How do I know when they're all done? 
how do I know what my success or failure rate on an atomic job is, right? Because because most of the time uh, there would be one instance of a job, which is I'm firing off a thousand messages uh, to be picked up by Lambda and work. Uh, maybe tomorrow I have 900 more or something like that. Like how do how do I organize those into coherent um, jobs that I can understand and and monitor, you know, uh, and analyze the results of those. So it's hard in that in that uh, instance. And I've seen people start with what I described, realize, oh, I need to actually track what's happening here. Uh, and then say, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a job ID uh, in a DynamoDB table. And as each Lambda function executes, I'm going to update that job. And I'm going to maintain my state there. And you know, at this point, well, guess what? You're, you're building your own state machine, right? You're building something that's already there in the cloud, and you should just use it. So that 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 was the point of the blog post was uh, was that uh, actually starting off with step functions and realizing that uh, you know that a lot of the things that you're going to need in the long run are already there and that's that's really the promise of uh, managed services and cloud in my opinion that's what, that's what we should look to first and uh, and we can avoid that anti pattern of constantly having to build in uh, features that are, already exist somewhere else. Uh, by uh, by embracing that in the first place. So um, so yeah, that that's uh, that's that's what I was writing about. Uh, you know, I think that's that's kind of part of a series uh, that I've been working through. It's kind of come into my head as uh, sort of a three part series where uh, so I I state the problem of. Uh, the the serverless workflow anti pattern, which is which is that I have a job, uh, but I don't I don't maintain the state of the job. The, the second part of it is uh, uh, I I was uh, privileged enough to give a talk at uh, AWS Community Day DMB, which is uh, District of Columbia District of Columbia Maryland Virginia. So that's that's the region that I live in in the United States. Uh, I gave a talk. Um, uh, there about uh, workload durability and and how to retry how to how to, how to um, make sure that my workload will execute successfully and and in an observable way. And then the third part of this is is uh, what I kind of said at the outset about thinking about failure, right? Uh, how can we have uh, you know a, a failure mindset, but in a really positive way? It's a little bit of a contradiction. To think about um, that uh, that there's so many different ways that a workload can fail, but uh, but we can use that knowledge in order to build things in a better way, uh, such that uh, you know our workloads are durable and and can be successful. Hundred percent, and I think you put that in a really great way, Matt. Failure in a positive way, which is I feel. A lot of things that it's been cards in a lot of organizations. It's, it's good to be, see it as a learning experience compared to just the fact that it fails and you take the blame for it. It's, and I feel that we definitely have to a lot to do more of that in different dev environments, actually, because in the end, it's you know about trying out different architectures and how it works as well within different steps within 
how you're configuring step functions to actually see how it performs and accordingly respond towards it. So I'd like to move our discussion slightly now towards more on the Gen AI side. Uh, we, we've been talking about a lot about before about Gen AI and its applications and potential. And yeah, given that we're talking about step functions as well, uh, what have you been currently doing and what have you currently been seeing of having step functions to manage the complexity that may be sometimes generated from Gen AI workflows? Yeah, so this is a um, this is a space that I've only kind of recently gotten into. Um, there are certainly like um, you know I've been aware of like uh, SageMaker and Jupyter notebooks and things like that, but I never really understood what to do with them. Uh, you know, uh, ChatGPT is about a year old, uh, so it's just, I, I think it's uh, democratized some of these technologies. I'm really excited about Bedrock because I think it takes it even a step further. Like it's, uh, I've, I've only used it a little bit so far. It sounds like your last guest was talking about how to use that with Lambda, which is which is a really good pairing. Uh, I've used a couple of other AI technologies with uh, with Lambda and it's a, it was a little hard to do. Uh, you know, I mean, having to install libraries and build Lambda layers and, Things like that, like it, it could be a little bit challenging. I might be just repeating what your last guest was saying, but I think it bears repeating that uh, all you need is the, the AWS SDK and you can make uh, API calls to Bedrock. Uh, the Bedrock console is really cool that you can uh, you, you you can build out whatever you want to build out there, and then it will just give you the API request uh, that you need to make to to put that into your application. Uh, so, that, like the the workflow for that is really nice. Uh, that I that a, a lot of people that you know wouldn't necessarily uh, honestly. I I tried to figure out how to use SageMaker a couple of times and I failed. Uh, and I, I'm probably not the only one. Uh, but I think people will be able to use Bedrock. So, like that's a that's a really exciting thing. Now, with respect to um, what a, how does that fit into step functions? What what kind of sense does it make in that world? The thing that we know like today about generative AI is not fast, right? Uh, it is, uh, it's not fast and it's not necessarily even consistent. Uh, that, um, you know, I think we're, we're all kind of used to a blazing fast web. We are starting to get used to uh, chatbots that take a little bit more time. Uh, we still want them to be pretty fast, but, you know, I, I think, I think when it comes to a lot of workflows, you know, we'll see cases where we want to make that asynchronous because that's what makes sense. We might want to do sentiment analysis on a large amount of text, for example. Uh, we might want to generate a whole bunch of images or generate a whole bunch of other texts. Uh, we might want to do a bunch of text-to-speech or, you know, I'm, I'm just going through what, what can you actually do with these things at this point. But there, there are definitely, you know, as, as we lo start looking at really practical applications of, of what we're gonna be doing with generative AI, there are a lot of cases that are uh, not gonna fit nicely inside of a web request. Therefore, this is another one of our asynchronous jobs that we wanna run in the background. So, so number one, just, you know, just encompassing that in, in some kind of workflow engine like Step Functions in order to ensure that I can do all the different things that I wanna do. And then, uh, you know, I may, I may wanna, 
uh, generate an image and then put that in S3 and then, uh, you know, validate that I have uh, cached that in CloudFront or something like that. Like the, there's there's a few different things that I might want to do and, and stringing that into, into um, you know, different steps in the step function makes a lot of sense. Uh, we may also get, not always get back the content that we want from our generative AI. Uh, we might get back an error. We might just get back something that uh, now it's, I, I would say personally, I'm a little bit far away from being able to um, uh, construct a prompt that should give me what I want and then another prompt to validate that I did get what I want, but that's probably something that we'll do someday. Uh, or, you know, we might want to uh, generate text and then do sentiment analysis on the text that we just generated. So that's, an, again, a time that it makes a lot of sense to put that into an asynchronous workflow, something that can be retried, something. What if, uh, what if I do my sentiment, sentiment analysis and don't like the result? Uh, I could have a decision tree that says actually regenerate that because I, because I didn't like it or because it's not long enough or... Uh, you know, something like that. You could have image generation that's that's supposed to solve a particular problem, and then you could use uh, so, something else to validate that that came out correctly. And again, have the the, the retry process there. So I think I think there's going to be a lot of use cases for uh, this great technology. Does a lot of the things that we we want to do, uh, but we need to encompass it in a job and, and ensure its durability. Definitely. I think you touched on a lot of great points, Matt. In particular, I'm really interested as well in the fact that you particularly mentioned about the validation workflow too, that as we that we can integrate into as part of the step functions, because I feel that oftentimes we forget that these are eventually going to be automated as well for in our best interests. Because I mean, I've, I've done a lot of experimentation as well with bedrock which had gpt and trying to actually get to spew out the right response and sometimes it's just a process of iterative development right like you, mm -hmm. you prompted something then you pretty much just feed another prompt to say like you know hey can you like fix this and you see like what it gets next so being able to have it done autonomously within the own validation cycle within its own step and yeah say like step functions for example is a really great thing and a powerful thing i think for a lot of developers to have within handling their own workflows as well and i think problem engineering is going to continue being something that's explored as well given the indefinite state of gen ai too so i feel problem engineering is an art itself isn't it so because it's just figuring out as well like what foundational model responds to what and you know based on my experiences it's always been it, it can sometimes give you good responses can sometimes give you bad responses it's, it's it's just a matter of like trial and error sometimes really yeah yeah i i I'll have to say i've barely scratched the surface on that one i'm i'm just uh just kind of warming up to bedrock and uh figuring out what i can do with it and that's fair. I feel like a lot of us right now, especially with Bedrock, are in the pioneering phase of the whole thing. I mean, yep. it's been like, what, like just a month it went GA already? So mm -hmm. it's not been a lot. So definitely, I feel like as we go along, there will definitely be more use cases we'll see and more work people will be seeing as well. Let's move on to talking a bit about 
some of the stuff you've recently worked on, Matt. I, I mean, one of the things I remember you were mentioning to me about was, uh, and this is particularly in terms of practical implementations, uh, your work with speakers.adoscommunitybuilders.org. Uh, do you want to talk about it as well? Kind of like shed a bit of light on like what you were doing on that and how it you, you uh, integrated AI, uh, Gen AI as well into that project? Yeah, so, um, so Speakers Directory, uh, it began as a hackathon project uh, working with uh, Johannes Koch, uh, Daniel Heberling, and uh, Julian Mitchell. Um, so we, we were all community builders at the time. Since then, two of us have become uh, AWS heroes, uh, but we're still kind of collaborating on this, this project. Uh, there was an um, AI ha hackathon over the summer uh, using Hugging Face, uh, and uh, so Johannes had this idea, and he recruited us to to collaborate with him on it. So the the, the idea is is uh, that it's a it's a tool for uh, AWS user group leaders, or really anyone in the AWS user group, in order to be able to find local speakers or maybe virtual speakers who uh, want to come to their events. So so the the concept is that uh, you can enter events, uh, you can create a speaker profile and enter the talks that you might be interested in giving, and then uh, you know, join the two together so that, that uh, event planners can do their planning. Because it was an AI-focused hackathon, of course we had to uh, use um, Hugging Face APIs in it. So we uh, did, did some image generation, which was a little bit silly. Uh, where you'd, you'd get a generated image based on the text that uh, you put into it. Uh, but a little bit more serious, uh, uh, what we wanted to do was uh, use, use a tag-based system to help identify talks and, and uh, be able to link them to uh, events that make sense for them. So um, the idea that I had there was, uh, you know, like one of, the, one of the challenges with tagging is, is People could put anything as a tag, right? Uh, if you see, if if you go on LinkedIn or, or something like that, uh, some people like to uh, hashtag AWS community. Some people like to hashtag AWS community builders, right? Like like it's just it's just it's free text. They can they can do anything they want. And so uh, appreciating this um, challenge, I reasoned that uh, if we kept a running total of the tags that are being entered in the system and then fed that into a, a generative AI to say, here are the tags that you know are, are part of our world. Here's the text. Can you extract some tags from that text that sort of match the, the sorts of tags that we're currently uh, having in our system? And, and that way there'd be a, like a bias toward uh, the ones that are more common. So if, uh, if more people are putting AWS community instead of AWS community builders, then, then things would tend to get tagged that way. Uh, that would allow us to, to have uh, stronger matching um, and, uh, and, and make it easier to find the things that are, that are relevant. So that's just like a tiny little use case that we uh, kind of hammered out in the midst of a hackathon. Um, to answer the obvious question, yes, we are switching that to Bedrock just because it's it's a lot nicer to work with, to be honest. Uh, but there's I think there's a lot of other interesting things that we can do there in terms of um, you know recommending 
uh, organizers what uh, you know what talks and what speakers might work for them. Uh, can we do something that you know sort of helps to us to? I, I mean, there's there's geolocation, right? But you know, is, is there an angle there that that uh, helps us with that too a little bit in terms of um, finding potential speakers that are in your area? Uh, I'm not sure yet. We haven't gotten in, into that part, but I I think that that uh, there's there's a lot of potential here just just for uh, how can we make make it easier for people to find the things that are interesting for, to them? So it's like a great project, Matt. And I feel that really highlights the potential that Gen AI has to be able to help these kinds of workflows much better. Because I've been using a call for speakers platform as well. And one of the things that it had difficulty as well was, firstly, you, you touched on the tagging bit like quite nicely as well because yeah we always have to be able to write down the tags like manually and so it will be really great if we can just get a general compilation of tags and use it to match accordingly so that's that's a really great use case that you touched on mm -hmm. and i think the really probable potential of this cool project is the personalization aspect that we can more or less have towards each speaker it's something that a lot of platforms have struggled on mm -hmm. like I, don't, I can't think out of my mind which platform is able to currently just perfectly personalize for the user because it's certainly a big challenge because users yeah. have many problems. Like, for example, if they have budgetary constraints because their company can't sponsor them and they have to basically get the conference to sponsor them, and so match accordingly based on that. But at the same time as well, like you mentioned, geolocation and also based on the topics of interest. It, it, it's fun. It's a funny thing because, yeah, I remember when I was using one platform in particular, like I specifically, for, for example, put DevOps tag, but for some reason, a conference for like, uh, that actually was uh, interesting. I actually had to look up myself as well. It didn't show up on my list of potential conference yeah. that I could potentially find. So that's a really great thing. And I feel that's where Gen AI can right. actually really help out here. That's that's a that's a really unsolved problem at this point. I think uh, you know, like even uh, even searching Amazon or something like that. Uh, products that I'm 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 sure that they're they're very deep in trying to figure out this problem. But uh, I don't always get recommendations that make sense. You know, oh, you 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 bought a air conditioner. Would you like to buy eleven more air conditioners of different brands? Like probably not. Uh, you know that 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 kind of thing. I I, I feel like uh, there's there's uh, a world of potential there. Definitely, it's really a balance between how you choose to recommend something that is maybe like slightly bit different, maybe slightly bit more diverse than like what you're used to in terms of like the topics they're talking to, but at the same time still able to mention the ones that are similar to you without actually recommending the same thing over and over again, which I feel like a lot yeah. of different platforms fall uh, for the challenge under. But that's all the time we have for now. Uh, Matt, thank you so much again for being on Service Sorcery and sharing your experiences with our listeners. I'm sure they've been able to bring back a lot of learnings based on your experiences. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning into Service Sorcery. Your quest for knowledge and your companionship in this exploration is what fuels our adventure into the mysteries of generative AI and serverless architectures. 
Remember to subscribe, share, and provide us feedback or questions through reaching out to our podcast page or on LinkedIn at silvers-sorcery or through my LinkedIn profile at Rinaldi Gonestroto or Twitter at Rinaldi G. And again, thank you again so much, Matt, for your time on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Bye, all.